Good evening. My, this is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Uh, today is December the 30th, 2022. One more in my ongoing lists of podcasts for people who either are or see themselves as highly mobile people, whether in matter of fact or aspiration. And today, tonight, I have the privilege of interviewing Philip May, who runs ec-holdings.com. That's ec-holdings.com, based in Singapore. And basically, he is one of the go-to people in the industry if you want a second citizenship, second residence, uh, whether by way of substitution or additionally. So this should be interesting. How are you today, Philip? Thank you. Thank you for hosting me. I'm fine. I'm actually on a holiday in Uruguay. I'm on the beach here. The weather is fantastic. We have uh, summertime and uh, I enjoy the country very much. So I'm perfectly fine. Thanks a lot. So the seasons are actually in reverse. So here I am sitting in Toronto, Canada, where it is the middle of winter, or at least sort of the beginning of the middle of winter. And you are in the summer in Uruguay because the seasons are in reverse. Exactly. So we get the good suntan here and uh, it gets quite warm during daytime. It, it cools down a bit at night, but uh, you're fine without the jacket outdoors even in the evening. So uh, perfect weather. All right. So how long are you there for? About a week. All right, and then it's, is it back to Singapore at that point? Yes, that's right. That's right. I'll have a stopover in Buenos Aires, and then I will head back to Singapore, where is our headquarter. Okay, well, you say our headquarters. So tell me about ec-holdings.com. EC Holdings is a Singapore headquartered consulting firm, which is focused on investment immigration so we help individuals to get second citizenships or second residences in countries which have programs for investors and these are the five east caribbean countries with their well-known citizenship programs that's vanuatu in the pacific that's turkey um, and for residency mainly portugal latvia in the EU, and then the Bahamas in the Caribbean, which has a good residency but no citizenship program, and Uruguay and Paraguay in South America. Now, we'll get to Uruguay and Paraguay in a minute, but do they have both citizenship and residence programs? No, they do not have direct citizenship programs. They have uh, residency programs, and residency can convert to citizenship after three years, but it's not a direct citizenship program. So everybody needs to wait, needs to do their time. But getting residence is not that difficult compared to Canada, US. I would say it's quite easy. Okay. See, that's interesting because once you have residence in the US or Canada, the citizenship thing may take a few years, but it's actually fairly easy. Um, right. It sounds a little bit more like Mexico, which has fairly easy, easy residence accesses. Would you agree with that? 
To be honest, I'm not familiar with the Mexican uh, immigration uh, laws, so I can't comment on that. Uh, what I do know is that uh, taxes in Mexico are more significant than in Paraguay and Uruguay, and that's the reason we have not looked into Mexico. But probably uh, it's a similar thing in terms of language requirements, etc. Uh, most of Latin American countries, they give residency to foreigners uh, pretty quick. And most of them, they have a road to citizenship after three to seven years with some basic language requirement. I think in Mexico, it's five years, but I can't comment in detail since we do not work with Mexico, okay. which is popular in the US and Canada, um, but not a typical destination for high net worth individuals, given the fiscal and other situation there. Okay, well, let's back up a little bit. Um... How or why or, you know, did you transition into this citizenship and residency business? Well, I got into it through a client when I was in private banking. Uh, I'm a banker by training. So some of my clients, they requested for e-services, which are not core services of the bank. So I had to source solutions outside the bank some 10, 15 years ago. And since then, I, I watched the industry and um, I saw uh, a chance uh, to launch myself in this field because investment migration is, is growing. And although it has gained quite a bit of traction, it will grow even further in the future. Um, so it's a classic growth industry. It's a mega trend, uh, especially in Asia, but it's also getting more popular in the US and it will get more popular in Europe as well. So very interesting field to be in. We are dealing with various countries. So it's not only the demand that is increasing, but it's also the supply, it's the, the destination countries which change their programs, which come up with new programs. Sometimes a country drops out of it. Um, but definitely uh, a lot of uh, demand in the future. Uh, definitely uh, a bright future ahead. It's not a, a bubble. It's not something you believe in it or you don't, like cryptocurrency. Some people, they, they don't believe in crypto. Fine. But everybody has a passport. You can't say, oh, I don't need a passport unless you stay in your country forever. So passports matter. Residence matters. Taxes matter. Uh, so these topics will remain relevant and become more relevant for most of the people in an increasingly globalized world. All right, now that's very interesting. I thank you for that. Let's break this down uh, and talk about some of the specific things that you said mattered. Let's start off with passports matter. Uh, how does the fact that passports matter operate as sort of a driver to create growth and investment migration? Well, not everybody has a Canadian passport which allows you to travel pretty much visa free around the world uh, there is people who who need visa almost everywhere so so that's where it starts right that's where cbi started with people from countries like china or india many countries in the middle east which have mobility issues uh, that's still there 
But then you have you have other issues. Even if you have a Canadian passport or a, a, an EU passport, which is good for travel, you may feel that this passport may not be worth as much as it is now in, say, 20 years. Or you may feel that your country is going in the wrong direction. Or you just want to have a plan B in case something goes wrong uh, in your home country. So people want a second passport for life planning for future uh, events for safety and security do you think that the uh the covert experience of the last few years has got more people thinking that uh you know just that that a second passport's a good insurance policy definitely definitely that's another driver a lot of people felt trapped in their home country didn't like the measures taken by the governments there and wish they had another place to go where the measures did not uh, exceed the level of what they think is uh, acceptable. Right. Uh, so that's a big driver of people who want to get the second home at least or even a second passport so that in the next pandemic, if their home country acts in a way that they feel is unreasonable or excessive, or intrusive, they can go somewhere else. Well, I, I certainly have talked to people who who were planning to renounce U.S. citizenship, for example, but decided against it, uh, you know, for, for this very, very reason, because of, you know, uh, what, what the COVID thing did was uh, made what I would say travel restrictions uh, visible really for the first time in, I think, my lifetime, right, where, you know, it was something more than just a passport issue. Correct. So yes. Yeah. During during the pandemic, uh, a lot of people couldn't move if they didn't have either a second passport or a second residence. And some of those who had second residencies in countries like, say, Thailand or Malaysia, but even in New Zealand or Australia, couldn't go back or couldn't easily go back. So a second passport became essential for them or they felt the need to have one so that they really can go to their country of citizenship, no matter what. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's, that's very, very clear. And as I say, I think that that has become visibly clear uh, to a lot more people. So there's the passport issue that matters. Uh, well, you know, what, what is another sort of main, um, main factor that we can describe a little more that, is increasing the demand for the second citizenships and residences. Like, why would somebody want to leave Europe, for example? Well, in Europe, you have a lot of issues. You have uh, political issues uh, domestically in most of the countries. Uh, I think uh, many European countries are just as divided as the U.S. are. We hear a lot about... Uh, divided society in the US. We hear less about divided societies in Europe simply because these countries are smaller, they are not English speaking, they are less in the focus of the, of the big global media, but they are very divided too. And in Europe you have uh, higher taxes in general, uh, not all countries of course, but many of them have higher taxes even than the US. Uh, you had some countries with very strict measures uh, during the pandemic, uh, Germany, for example. 
and you have a high level of illegal immigration in many of the Western European countries that the local people feel uneasy about. So a lot of driving factors for Europeans to to move. Uh, Generally, the level of uh, income, the living standard is still high in Europe. But at the same time, there are other reasons which make people want leaving. You already have uh, some high net worth individuals going to Monaco, going to Andorra. That has been around for decades. But there is now more uh, others who, who want to leave as well. They may want to go it's further sort of away. Out of the middle class, as it. Exactly. And you have more upper middle class people who can afford to leave, to go, uh, for the reasons I mentioned. Uh, various reasons apply. And I think these reasons will become more strong and more important for many. What about uh, North America? What are you hearing from that part of the world, Canada and the U.S.? Well, Canada and the U.S. is different because the U.S. has global tax. That's the big problem. So the U.S. situation is unique worldwide. As long as you're a U.S. citizen, you have to pay tax, basically. So a lot of Americans who who think enough is enough, they are ready now to renounce their U.S. citizenship. And in order to do that, they need a second passport first. Canada, I'm not familiar with. I've never been there. I believe it's more similar to Europe. Um, Of course, you have uh, the cold climate in winter, which has always uh, produced Canadians to become... uh, Migrants, in the sense that they go somewhere in the Caribbean or in Central America, at least over winter time, there may be more who do that uh, permanently due to uh, social media, due to remote work arrangements, etc. Um, but in the U.S., you have definitely a, a, an increase in people who are willing to renounce. That was not the case 10, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was very, very unusual for an American to renounce. It has become more normal to do that, I think. Well, you know, there's been an evolution in sort of the the taxes and a lot of other things in the last 20 years, which I think are clearly influencing that. But what about about the Asian countries? What's fueling the demand through their eyes? Well, again, Asia, like Europe, is a mixed bag. You have countries from where there is virtually no demand for second passports. Countries like Japan, the Japanese, they don't move. Singapore, Brunei, wealthy countries. No markets for us, no demand. And then you have huge countries like China, like India, like Vietnam, the Philippines, Indonesia, whose passports are lousy to say only the least so the people have a mobility issue uh, first that's the very basic but then a lot of people there also have other issues they feel unsafe they feel that their governments don't work the way they should i mean china is a communist dictatorship who who wants to depend on on a dictator who who want, who doesn't want to escape that who doesn't want to have more freedom so in Asia, there will always be a huge demand for this because I don't see many large Asian countries getting more visa-free arrangements and the political stability is not necessarily going to increase much. 
India is interesting. In- India is a democracy. That's fine. But then, like in the US, you have people who, who don't feel happy with one side of uh, the political spectrum uh, and who want to, to have a, a hatch, who want to have a plan B. Similar in the Philippines. So demand will keep growing uh, in Asia along with the increased wealth of the Asian countries. So, so the more wealth there is, the more demand there will be for uh, residency and citizenship solutions. And of course, the more awareness of, of other people doing it. Um, Absolutely correct. So the more people have it, the more mouth-to-mouth propaganda and the more feel, oh yeah, if, if my cousin can do it, I can do it as well. Correct. Okay, so let's let me ask you this. How do you, as a professional in the area, how do you see the second citizenship market? I mean, I, I presume you sort of see it in terms of pockets of the world. You mean in terms of destination countries yeah. offering yeah. solutions? Okay, there mm, there is a lot of talk about the EU uh, Brussels trying to stop this within the EU, uh, trying to dissuade EU member countries from having residence or citizenship by investment programs. Now there is a court case of the EU against Malta. We will see what's going to happen. We don't know. But clearly, the EU doesn't like it. And uh, there they is a possibility. Like because uh, if you have citizenship and a residence in one country, you can live in any of the others, right? Um, well, that's what they say. But at the core, the EU is socialist. And citizenship and residence by investment is not the socialist idea. So they don't like the very basic idea of CBI and RBI. They hate the rich in, in simple terms. So that's why they don't like it. They don't mind criminals moving around the EU. They lifted the borders. There is Schengen. A gangster can go from Portugal to Poland without being checked. That they don't with mind. With their human rights intact. With their human rights intact. Exactly. Exactly. But the wealthy person getting residence in a new country where he or she could get the citizenship five years later and then move to another EU country, that's a big problem for them. Give me a break. That's nonsense. So that's politics. Um, But talking about markets, uh, put the EU aside, there will be more countries offering these solutions because they realize that this is a way to create uh, income, not only for for the governments, but also for the economies, for the populace of those countries. So at the moment, you have about half a dozen countries talking about new CBI programs. You have Suriname, you have Armenia, you have uh, North Macedonia, Laos. We will see how many of them materialize. But just the fact that they even talk about it is interesting. And the trend is clear. There will be more countries offering solutions. Uh, Latin America, basically every country is open to immigration. They haven't all structured uh, their laws into programs like Panama did, uh, but they are open, so they may do that. Africa, over 50 countries, basically open for business, most of them at least. Um, We will see more from there. And 
even in Asia, in the Pacific, I believe the number of countries welcoming wealthy migrants will increase. Okay, now what's in it for the countries? Like, why would a country offer this kind of program? Basically, they have a good chance of getting uh, quality inbound investment, impact investment. They can channel the investments in a direction they want. They can demand for donations to the government coffers. They can demand for investment in certain real estate uh, fields. They can demand for the setup of companies, whatever they want. So they have a tool to steer uh, these investments into a certain direction. Um, and that's what makes them eager to, to get uh, a piece of the cake. Okay. So wh what's the cost range on this type of thing? I mean, say, um, you know, I come to you and say, Philip, I've had it. I want another citizenship. What does it cost? From the direct citizenship programs, that are out there uh, the minimum is at a hundred thousand dollar donation that's in three caribbean countries antigua and barbuda saint lucia and dominica on top of this donation of course there are some fees uh, but these are smaller amounts so basically you start at a hundred thousand dollar and then it goes up to malta which asks for about a million euro takes a year and a half your name gets published i don't really like the program but it is there it's legit and malta is a good country uh, so between a hundred thousand us dollar and one million euro in simple terms okay now i have talked to americans who um invest in those programs really just for the sole reason of having a, sec a citizenship so they can renounce their U.S. citizenship. Uh, what does, what's the quality of the passport with those programs? It depends on the country. Malta uh, has a fantastic passport. Malta is an EU country. It is visa-free to the U.S., to Canada. Um, but even the Caribbean countries... Uh, which have such programs, which are all former British colonies, which are Commonwealth countries. They don't go to the US and Canada visa-free, but they are visa-free to uh, all the EU and Schengen countries, to the UK, Singapore, Hong Kong, South Korea, etc. So uh, the passports are quite, quite good um, from all the countries that offer uh, such programs. Some countries like Grenada, they even have visa-free to China. Others like Vanuatu, they have even visa-free to Russia. Um, obviously, a country that offers citizenship by investment needs to offer some mobility benefits to their new citizens. Otherwise, it doesn't make much sense. Right. And Grenada also has that, is that that E1 treaty investor deal with the United States? E2, yes, correct. However, that has been changed recently or is about to change. The U.S. announced that the E2 treaty does not apply for Grenadians who do not stay in Grenada for two years. So if you're a new citizen of Grenada and you haven't lived there, you can't make use of it. But if you wait the two years, you can't? 
Yes, correct. Okay. All right. I mean, that, you know, that, that still has value. All right. So those are the, the uh, citizenship ones. Now, let's, let me ask you about the residence ones. And by residence, I mean permanent residence. I don't mean the, uh, you know, a, a digital nomad visa or something like that. Very good, very good. So we don't talk about Thailand, we don't talk about Malaysia, we don't talk about the UAE, which create the impression of giving permanent residence, but they don't. What is it? What is it they do give? Temporary residence. Okay, and that that is that is sort of. Uh, uh, would we agree that sort of in the spirit of the digital nomad visa type of thing? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they shut you out during the pandemic. They don't give a road to citizenship. So let's not talk about those okay, programs. So let's talk about the real ones. Permanent residents that can lead to citizenship. Um, why don't we start with uh, European options and then we'll move to what I really want to hear most about the South American options. But let's begin with the European options. Right. So in Europe, you have uh, various programs. Um, in Malta, you can get permanent residence right away. Uh, in Greece, you can get permanent residence right away. However, the problem with those two programs is that they don't necessarily lead to citizenship. You have to stay there full time for something like seven, eight years. Uh, stringent language requirement applies. So not very good programs. What is very good is Portugal. You do get only a temporary residence first, but after five years, you can upgrade it to either permanent residence or even to citizenship. And the minimum physical presence is just seven days a year. So Portugal is definitely the best for those who seek uh, oh, residency sure. come citizenship. For those who want the residence only, but not the citizenship in Europe, Latvia is the best option because it's so much more cost efficient than the other countries. In Latvia, you need to invest 50,000 euro in a Latvian company. On top of that comes some fees and you get the residence. Other programs are there like Spain, like Italy, but the road to citizenship is 10 years. Uh, high taxes, uh, strict physical presence requirement of six months per year doesn't really to maintain make sense. the residence to maintain the residence visa to be eligible for citizenship. Okay. Well, so, what about uh, a country like Greece or Malta? Uh, if you just want a, a permanent resident visa, is there is there a requirement you have to spend a certain number of days per year in the country to maintain that? Not. No, not really. So if you just want a permanent residence, but you're not interested in citizenship, yeah, you can do that in Malta. That's fine. Uh, I wouldn't do it in Greece for various reasons. Um, but yes, Malta has uh, a legitimate program for that. If you are fine with having just a temporary residence at a much lower cost, you can do it in Malta. And you can keep rolling it over and over. You just need to let your investment there. So yes, Malta is uh, is an okay or even a good permanent residence program if you don't mind never getting the citizenship. Okay, uh, but it does it does give you uh, and uh, it doesn't give you another passport, but it does give you a place to go. 
Uh, which correct, correct. Although it's a bit a small place. Malta is even smaller than Singapore, and it's an island somewhere in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. So, I'm not too sure how good that will be in the long run. It's very near North Africa, but yes, the program is there. I do not recommend it, but if somebody asks for it, I would definitely help them to do it. Uh, Malta is a developed country. It's a decent country. And the program is very well managed, very well established. So Malta is okay. And what's the cost uh, range for that to get to get a permanent resident visa? It depends on the size of the family, but it's in the range of 150 to 200,000 euro, roughly. Okay. And uh, I'm assuming that you become a tax resident uh, of these countries as well, or is that different? Not necessarily. Tax residency and residency from an immigration perspective is not necessarily the same. Um, but in order to become a tax resident, you have to be a legal resident first. So once you have your residency, immigration-wise, you can become a tax resident if you want to. Okay. Now, why would somebody want to become a tax resident? Well, very simple. If he comes from a, a higher tax country, obviously he has an interest in taking up tax residence there. There is a program in Europe we, we haven't talked about yet, which is very good, uh, which is Monaco. Monaco has no taxes at all. And it has a very uh, old and very popular uh, residence program. doesn't really lead to citizenship either, but fantastic from a tax perspective on mainland Europe, not on a small island in the sea, um, and not even that expensive. Interesting. Okay, so those are the, uh, the European options. Now let's move over to South America, the Paraguay, Uruguay. Let's hear about those and why they're attractive. Paraguay and Uruguay are two out of many Latin American countries which are open to immigrants. But why are those two uh, chosen by EC Holdings? Simply because these two countries have very attractive tax features. Paraguay has a maximum tax rate of 10%. Uruguay has higher tax rates, but foreign income is uh, exempt. And these two countries offer a road to citizenship uh, for new immigrants after three years of residence. And besides that, these two countries have very sound monetary and economic policies. Look at Argentina with the hyperinflation. Look at Venezuela. Look at the crime in Mexico. You name it. You don't really want to be there. You want to be in a safe, peaceful low-tax place with a good government. And that's the case in Paraguay and in Uruguay. Chile has turned left. In Brazil, Lula is back. No good. So it comes down to those two. There may be some smaller countries in Central America which have attractive options as well. I haven't really looked at those in detail. But Paraguay and Uruguay I'm very familiar with. And that's why we decided at EC Holdings to offer those options to investor migrants who prefer South America over Europe 
or who may already have something in Europe and feel like they want to uh, have something additional, they want to have a plan C, or they want to have something in the southern hemisphere, whatever it is. So Paraguay, Uruguay, uh, the most attractive uh, in the region. Okay, and what what's the cost range on that for Paraguay or Uruguay? We charge $50,000 all in, so that includes uh, government fees, translation fees, uh, our fees, etc., etc., uh, for each of those countries. Um, and that's very low compared to uh, European programs. Malta, I mentioned, is about 150 to 200,000 euro. In Portugal, you have to invest at least 280,000 euro. In Greece, it's more. In Spain, it's more. In Italy, it's more, etc. So very reasonable cost for two relatively unknown but greatly underrated countries. I'm in Uruguay at the moment, and you look around here. I mean, it feels like somewhere in Spain. It's it's in South America, but it's a very European country. So the demand will go up. People will realize that these countries are under the radar. They are underrated. Uh, and that's a good thing. So uh, we don't know what it will be like in 20 years. Maybe, maybe it will become very expensive. Who knows? But for the time being, these are uh, attractive options. And they are already uh, getting a lot of interest from the neighbor countries, especially from Argentina, because they are familiar. They know how good it is there, uh, but they will get more demand from the, the wider region and from overseas as well. Okay, so what are the requirements to get permanent residency? Let's start with Earth. Basically, you have to be able to show uh, an income that allows you to support your lifestyle. So in Uruguay, that means about Two to three thousand dollar income per month, which has to be proven. That's the key uh, to the immigration. Besides that, the usual documents: uh, clean criminal record, birth certificate, marriage certificate, etc. What about vaccination certificates? As we come off this whole COVID thing. Um. There is uh, a requirement to enter uh, the country to have uh, a COVID vaccination, in Uruguay at least, not in Paraguay. Uh, Paraguay had such a requirement for a short while, but it's lifted again. But to take up residence, you do not necessarily need to, to prove that. Um, in Uruguay, you should uh, provide your vaccination booklet from your home country and there is certain vaccines that are required uh, like uh, tetanus um, and if you don't have those you can take them in Uruguay on the spot and get the local uh, vaccine booklet to prove that but COVID is not one of them okay uh, now so let's say um, somebody from Europe or North America moves to Uruguay and uh, they're allowed the permanent residence status because they can prove whatever you say, the $3,000 of income per month. Now, did I understand you correctly to say that 
that, that Uruguay would not be taxing that income because it's sourced outside Uruguay? Correct. At least for the first 10 years, that income is entirely tax exempt. Okay. Uh, so if you're a permanent resident there, presumably you could set up a business. So if you set up a business and made income from that, then that would be taxed, correct? That's correct. But again, you would have to look at what business it is and where the revenue of the business are from. Uruguay has um, has a tax-free zone. So if you set up your business in that zone and if you're active in certain sectors, again, you have tax advantages. Mm-hmm. At EC Holdings, we don't do tax advisory at that level. So we would urge you to get uh, a tax advisory. And you direct people to, you know, specialists. Correct. So go to go to the usual uh, suspects, to the tax advisor who can tell you exactly how it works. But if you set up a business locally in Uruguay and you have clients overseas, you provide services to overseas, you may have some tax benefits again. And even locally, uh, there are arrangements which make it possible to reduce your taxes in a legal way. Uruguay is very business friendly. They got the new government two, three years ago, uh, which is pro-investment, which is pro-business. So there are a lot of options to uh, lower your taxes in a legal way and to structure your income such that you do not have to pay uh, an arm and a leg. Right, or an American who was living off retirement, Social Security or pension or whatever can move there for 10 years and just be taxed only by America, presumably, on that income. Correct, and if he renounces the U.S. citizenship, uh, not even that. Okay. All right, so what is the... Now, what about language requirements? There is no language requirement in Paraguay and Uruguay to get the permanent residence. If you apply for citizenship, you should be able to speak basic Spanish. Did they give you an exam? No, there is no exam. You will have to be able to speak with the relevant government officers that deal with your application verbally, but you do not need to sit down and write an exam and have a certain grade to pass. Okay, that's that's interesting. All right, now is... um... So, so if I'm understanding you correctly, that there's no upfront investment, uh, well, other than to, for example, uh, somebody like you to arrange it, but there's no additional, Correct. There's no additional uh, requirement to buy into a real estate venture or something like that. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Um, is Paraguay, and then how long then does it take to get citizenship? So you get permanent residence. Well, first of all, how long does it take to get permanent residence? Let's start with that. Um, the process takes several months. So in Paraguay, it's about, on average, three to four months. In Uruguay, it's a bit longer. It can be up to eight, nine months. Mm-hmm. But uh, in Uruguay, unlike in Paraguay, you get a temporary residence within about two weeks after you apply for a permanent residence. So you come to Uruguay, you apply for a permanent residence, You get the temporary one first. That comes with an ID card. While your permanent residence application is in process, 
you can use the temporary residence and about six to nine months later you should get your permanent one and you go back to the id card office to exchange the temporary for the permanent residence card uh, and then uh, you can wait three years uh, to be eligible for citizenship. In Paraguay, it's three years for everyone. In Uruguay, it's three years for those who are living in Uruguay with their spouse and five years for those who are single. Uh, that's interesting. What, what, what's the reason for the difference? The reasons, I'm told, um, is that those who live uh, in Uruguay with their spouse uh, are likely to be more integrated into the society than if somebody is here single. Hmm. Well, you know, that, of course, triggers the following question. How much time once you get the permanent resident visa are you requ required to stay in, say, Uruguay in order to maintain the re uh, visa or to be eligible to apply for citizenship? Is there a minimum? Um, yes and no. To maintain your permanent residence, there is not really a minimum. If you want to apply for citizenship, you should spend half a year in the country. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, that's that could be seasonal, couldn't it, right? Correct. Absolutely. So that's, that's very interesting. Um, I mean, what is the, uh, if it's possible to generalize, um, who are the kinds of people, like what stage of life are they in? Or who, you know, who are your clients who are, uh, who see Paraguay and Uruguay as attractive options? Very interesting question. Very hard to answer. I have young folks. I have uh, elder ones. Um, of course, those who come from further afield tend to be more wealthy, while those who come from the region can be uh, regular upper middle class citizens but if somebody comes from the other end of the world usually these are the more uh, seasoned the more well-traveled people but i would say uh, what they all have in common is that they kind of think out of the box uh, they they are somehow maverick in the sense that they consider countries that they usually have never been before, sometimes not even really heard about them before, yet they are uh, brave enough to, to, to make the decision to go there, and not just to go there on a holiday, but to take up a residence there. Um, and interestingly, all of them, they like it. So once they are there, of course, they do their online research, they check it out, they are not dumb. And then what they find online, they like it because there are no negative news out there. I mean, generally, the reputation of the country is good. They are low-profile countries, but there are no major issues. There is not even much crime out there. So these clients of ours, when they get there, they are positively surprised. They like it. Um, and that's what they have in common. So they're open-minded. They do not necessarily go by what we call uh, legacy brands uh, in Europe, for example, or US, Canada, these are legacy brands. Everybody knows these countries and generally they are sought after. Um, but these people think beyond uh, the, the general uh, image or the general reputation and they dig a bit deeper. 
um, that's what they have in common, I would say. Interesting. So you you grew up in Switzerland, right? That's correct. Did you did you ever imagine growing up in Switzerland that you'd have a career base in Singapore helping people? <laughs> not at all, not at all. I, I didn't even know where Singapore is when I was a child because it was a small developing country far away in Asia. Right. So we only get to hear about it later on. Um, of course, the news was all positive, so that triggered my interest, and I started traveling uh, to the region. Uh, but no, of course, uh, as a child, I, I would never have thought of, of going anywhere in Asia, maybe to the U.S. That was very fashionable at the time, but not to Asia. Well, so it sounds like this has really, really enhanced your life in, in so many ways. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it was a deliberate decision to go to Singapore. It, it didn't come uh, by coincidence. I was not asked by some bosses from one day to another to move there. I wanted to go there, and uh, it was the right decision. I have no regrets about it, uh, and I'm happy to help other people to, to realize their dreams and to, to go to, to countries they like to go uh, through investment. Oh, that that is fantastic, and your enthusiasm, confidence, and all those things really comes through. Well, we've been—I can't believe how fast our hour has gone by. Um, it's been a great conversation. I thank you for it very much. Um, thank you too. I think probably the best way to end would be for you to make your coordinates very clear, how people can get a hold of you if they wish to. Sure. So anyone can find us uh, on the social media. We are uh, on Twitter. We are on LinkedIn under EC Holdings or just go to our website, ec-holdings.com and fill the form to contact us and we will get in touch with you. That's fantastic. And again, I'm speaking today with Philip May of EC Holdings. That's ec-holdings.com, who is a specialist in citizenship and, and residence programs. And as the world evolves, it's like you can't have too few citizenships, I guess, right? That's correct. Um, there is a few countries, though, which don't allow dual citizenship and which are fantastic countries. Most countries that don't allow dual citizenship are not countries you would want to be a citizen of, like Red China, like um, uh, India, uh, and so on. But there is a few which are worth to have a single citizenship. Uh, Singapore is one of them. Monaco, the Bahamas is another one. Very hard to get, sometimes almost impossible. But there you have the exceptions. Other than that, I agree. For 95% or more than that of the countries, uh, the more you have, the better. And even if you're from a so-called good country, from a highly developed uh, industrial country like the US or, or Switzerland, you better get hold of a second or even a third passport because you never know what the future holds. You know, it seems to me there's two kinds of people in the world who need a second citizenship. Those that have money and need to retain it, and those who don't have money and need an opportunity to get it. Absolutely correct. <laughs> and on that note, 
Thanks so much for speaking with me today. I hope we can pick this up again at some point. Thank you very much for having me on the show. All the best.